what y'all know about that? Uh, that's that is Willie Hutch, a love that's worth having. Because people always ask what the song is after every episode, so I should start mentioning it. Um, yeah, so this is Champagne Sharks, another of our catch up on listener questions episodes. Because there's been like months and months of questions that I have just been leaving the lurch. So, yeah, episode 71. Um, usual house cleaning, patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks is where you go to donate and get double the episodes per week for only $5 a month, and you get a access to the full backlog of back episodes. So at this point, that's like maybe 35 episodes. So it's like you go sign up $5 a month and then suddenly you have poof, instantly 35 episodes to listen to now that you didn't have before. So you can just binge, go to town just like that for the measly price of $5. and then. From that point forward, you get two episodes a week instead of one. So, I mean, it sounds like a good deal to me. I mean, what what do I know? I'm just a guy. Um, yeah. So, Patreon.com forward slash Champagne Sharks. One word, no space. Also, uh, tell a friend if you can't donate right now. Tell a friend. Tell an enemy. Tell a stranger. Tell your loved ones. Tell anybody. Um, tell anyone you think will like the show, tell anyone that you think will hate the show, just troll them, say, Hey, I have this show that I think you'll like, and then they'll hate it. And you know, I don't care. Just get it out there. I'm not picky. So yeah, the other thing is for people who want a fan community, uh, well, there's two things actually about that. Um, there's a Reddit for Champagne Sharks, that's champagnesharks.reddit.com for people who want to find a like-minded community of Champagne Sharks fans. If that's you, then join this uh, Reddit. Uh, I don't actually run the Reddit. I didn't create it, but I do lurk on it and I do chime in occasionally. So, and so do the other hosts. So definitely check it out. And it's run by some pretty cool people. And the discourse there has been uh, pretty good. It's, it's not a rampant hot bit of activity yet, but it's getting there. So I like that. And I like to see what people get out of the show and what they want to get out of the show. Um, also, Leave a rating and review on iTunes. That's another good thing you can do for the show. Uh, A five-star rating is good, but a five-star rating and an actual review, like a typed out, this is what I love about the show. It's the best show ever. And it got me pregnant. Like those type of reviews, that's what uh, really helps the show. You know, Uh, that's the type of stuff that really, I guess, helps the show be discovered according to what I've been told about the iTunes algorithm. So yeah, that is great. So go to the iTunes, you know, and you know what I'll do? I'll put in the show notes. I think I usually do do this anyway, but in the show notes, I'll put a link to the iTunes page where you can go and leave such a glowing review and rating. I mean, the whole getting you pregnant thing is optional, but I mean, that, will really make the show sound exceptional. So I'm not stopping you from putting that either. Uh, Let's see. Oh, yeah. The other thing, speaking of show notes, do regularly check the show notes to this show because a lot of times people ask questions of me uh, on Twitter or different places asking me questions as a follow-up to an episode and the questions will be something that was answered and addressed in the show notes, like they'll be like, can you, can you put a link to this article or can you um, explain what you were talking about or what does this mean? And it'll all be stuff that's in the show notes. So definitely go to um, the show notes. If you go to champagnesharks.blueberry, spelled B-L-U-B-R-R-Y dot net, you'll see a link for 
every episode and the show notes for every episode. So that's something. Also on soundcloud.com forward slash champagne sharks. You'll see the show notes there as well. So yeah, do check the show notes before um, asking a question. I try to make them as thorough and helpful as possible to supplement what the show is about. And anything else? I think that um covers everything. Oh, also for my brethren who really enjoyed the Black Panther movie and really like the character Killmonger. I mean, there's been just a rash of horrible um, takes by Blavity Blacks about why Killmonger was bad, Killmonger was ashy, Killmonger was hotep. A bunch of dumb articles that I don't like because they're so um, simple and whatever. But for people who enjoyed the movie um, and like that character, um, we have a bunch of Killmonger Was Right shirts at the website KillmongerWasRight.com. That's just one word, KillmongerWasRight.com or TeamKillmonger.com. Both lead to the same place. But uh, yeah, we have five designs, and I think it's a good um, way to kind of uh, make a statement and also uh, support the show because right now we're working on the official Champagne Sharks swag, that official... Um, merchandise and the artist is still finalizing the designs and i thought this would be a good chance to uh make some shirts in the meantime and practice um doing some trial and error on getting the supplier and the printing processes down so we just did these five shirts as a test run and they came out pretty good i think so yeah check that out champagne sharks uh, actually, no, forget that. Uh, KillmongerWasRight.com. And also keep your eyes open for Champagne Sharks merchandise as well, which will be announced here. Okay, so questions, questions, questions. As usual, if you have questions, go to CuriousCat.me forward slash Champagne Sharks or email us directly at ChampagneSharks at gmail.com and we will answer the questions. For now, I'm still answering them solo, but I plan to start answering them as a group with the other co-hosts. So by all means, feel free to email us as a group. Like You can ask questions of all of us, some of us. It doesn't even have to include me. You can ask questions of, say, Dee or Mike and leave me out of it altogether. And when we have the group answer session, they will respond to those questions. Yeah, so even though so far it's been primarily me that's been getting asked the questions, feel free to ask anyone the questions. Anyway, on to the actual answering of questions. It's been like almost 10 minutes of house cleaning. And I appreciate your patience. So anyway, here we go. Somebody wrote, Hey T, been following your podcast and Twitter for a while. Appreciate your work. For a future topic, could you please get into the Red Pill Manosphere MRA community? At times, they provide some insight into the social dynamics between men and women. After reading their blogs for a few years, I've come to the conclusion that a lot of these white supremacists are upset that the social safety net of whiteness or white mediocrity isn't getting them sexual access. Now, this is a great question because something that happens is that being a pickup artist or being a dating advice guy in the vein of this whole um, I'm an alpha male and everyone who doesn't get laid is a beta male paradigm kind of becomes this gateway into a whole bunch of white nationalists and reactionary crazy bullshit. And I think there's a real reason for that. And I think it's two things. Uh, One thing is that a lot of the people who get drawn to it are, um, a lot of the people who get drawn to it are 
kind of shame-based personalities, um, personalities who kind of have this um, shame-based way of processing their problems. And I'll get to that later. I'll elaborate on that. And the other thing is, I think the cultural treadmill, there's this thing I call cultural treadmills. I've never explained or described this concept before, but like a cultural treadmill is like um, something, some kind of social trend in our discourse that if you're not actively uh, trying to work against it, um, things just naturally kind of get moved in that direction. So like, for example, we have like various cultural treadmills where you're kind of being pushed always in the direction of um, political correctness. And I hate using that word because then it makes you sound like a um, crazy reactionary, but a kind of tepid type of version of everything. So it's like anti-racism is the norm, but the treadmill kind of, that's where the treadmill kind of moves you toward. But um, it's not a two-direction treadmill. It kind of goes in various directions. Like, for example, if, you, if you're if you a um, not really trying to really challenge things and engage and question everything, I think most of the cultural discourse out there will move you toward this kind of bourgeois tepid, liberal, banal type of feminism, the same form of anti-racism, the same form of um, basically every ideology, you know? Um, Same with um, the same form of pro-gayness. You'll get this kind of bourgeois, banal, um, very non-revolutionary um go along to get along type of uh pro gayness as well that's just how kind of everything moves you toward so the only people who kind of end up going against the cultural treadmill i hope this makes sense they have to go twice as fast to kind of go visibly against it you know so what happens is you start getting these people who start going against the norm and the and for some reason the only people who seem to go against the norm are these people who tend to be running the other way at a breakneck speed if this makes sense so like um if you're just like a normal middle of the road kind of guy and you kind of see hey i don't really um kind of agree with uh this kind of lame form of anti-racism or this lame form of uh bourgeois lifestyle feminism or this lame form of um gay activism unless you're really rapidly against it that cultural treadmill is just going to kind of move you in that direction or at the very, or usually at the very best, you kind of mildly walk against it and you just end up staying in place and you're not really um, notably passionate one way or the other. You know, you, you just end up kind of negating the movement of the treadmill. So then the only people who become very noticeable going against the norm are the ones who they have to be so against the norm just to be seen going equally the opposite way. And I pray this makes sense as I'm saying it to the degree that it does in my head. Um, yeah, but yeah, so what happens with these people like um these kind of uh pickup artists and these 
manosphere people, they're, they're, they're the same thing. A lot of the mainstream, you know, dating advice is kind of bad. It gives you this kind of good guy chivalry, um, bend over backwards to please mindset that kind of doesn't really work in the real world, at least with a lot of uh, people. It's, it's this um, kind of faux feminism, whatever, that uh, kind of, you know, it's it's not really reality-based. So these guys kind of wake up to that, and then they end up, you know, because so much of the culture is geared toward that, they just feel like they have to overcompensate to break out and stand out of the mold. And the whole concept of the cultural treadmill, it's not just a one-way thing. Like, for example, um, if you're somebody who's a racist, right? And the cultural treadmill is moving you, moves everybody toward this kind of lame, banal form of uh, anti-racism. Like a lot of people have to be, feel like they have to become this super over-the-top, attention-getting uh, racist to break free of the cultural treadmill. They feel like they have to go twice as hard in that direction. But on the opposite side, on the left side or the more radical side of that position of banal anti-racism, there's another cultural treadmill moving in the opposite direction toward the same goal of banal, tepid, bourgeois anti-racism that's trying to move radical and leftist and extreme anti-racism toward this same type of uh, bourgeois lifestyle politics. So what you end up seeing is that on the left side, you have these over-the-top radical people like overcompensating and going at double speed to resist the cultural treadmill. And on the right side, you have um, the same. It's like the cultural treadmill is really a two-sided treadmill and both sides are moving people toward the center. And I believe that's kind of why, um, like there's no space to casually or moderately be against these things. You see what I'm saying? Like like there's no real space for that. Uh, The cult, the movement of the culture, the movement of the discourse doesn't allow you to be moderately or casually against anything because if you just try to stroll against the the current the movement casually you'll end up being eventually sucked into that direction uh anyway or overpowered by it um yeah i really hope that uh, made sense because i know sometimes my brain kind of works or processes things in a way that when I say it to people doesn't always um, translate correctly. And sometimes it translates better than I think and people actually get it right off the bat. But yeah, I think that's where a lot of, um, whether it's the alt-right or so-called social justice warriors or all types of people, um, why they come out the gate so strong and over the top. It's it's like. Um, not only are they working against the movement, the cultural treadmill, they've been under the sway of the cultural treadmill for like their whole lives. And now they feel like, wow, I have have so much ground to make up for, you know, as well as having to counter the speed at which the cultural treadmill moves. So it would be great to have somebody just kind of say, okay, a lot of this... Um, simping or beta male life advice is you know kind of unproductive or not realistic but do it in a way that is rational but that's not how it initially goes with uh the cultural treadmill so 
that explains the intensity of how they come out the gate. Um, but the other thing is what I said before about shame-based. So you get these shame-based personalities. And I will, um, I will elaborate a little bit more. Um, there's this woman named uh, June Tagney. She does a lot of research on shame and affect emotional effect effect spelled a f f e c t uh, how people process emotions and interestingly enough um i've been a big follower of her research for a while and i we use it a lot when i describe shame versus guilt um brianna joy gray actually did an article just today uh, referring to the same study that i'm going to refer to but um it's called Moral Emotions and Moral Behavior by June Price Tagney, uh, J.P. Tagney. And she talks about uh, shame. She's the person, well, one of the people, there's um, a couple of others, who came up with the research where, that I refer to a lot, that says shame is, shame is about feeling bad about who you are, whereas guilt is about feeling bad about what you did. And shame is at the heart of a lot of personality disorders, like sociopathy, narcissism, borderline personality disorder. Because part of the problem with shame is if what you are is the problem, what you are is hard to change, if not impossible. So your only option is to try to not think about what you are or run away and hide so people can't see what you are or kind of go in denial and convince yourself that you're something else or to attack what's making you feel bad as in, okay, if I can't change what I am and what I am is bad, then all I can do is go on the defensive like a rabid animal and just attack anybody that points out, you know, how defective I am. Like I am the def the defect, not my behavior. It's, it's me. And, um, another thing you can do is try to blame other people and externalize like your bad feeling about yourself onto other people and maybe try to, um, prove that they're worse. Like, okay, I am what I am and it's unchangeable, but I'll make sure that you realize that these other people are worse or, um, and shame is a big part of racism too. I mean, but racism is like a racial narcissism. It's the same. And racial sociopathy It's the same thing. Whereas guilt, like to give a contrast, if um, I do something stupid, but I'm a guilt-based person, or I do something selfish, what I'll say is, wow, I'm a, I'm a regular person who did a stupid thing. Or I did a selfish thing. So my options become, you know, if I feel bad about it, to do a smart thing uh, to make up for it or to do a selfless thing to make up for it, you know, and maybe apologize to people, make restitution if I hurt anybody by my behavior. Or maybe I could just, if it's about me doing a stupid thing, I just try to learn from that stupid thing and become smarter in my future actions. You know, it's like my actions are what's wrong. They don't mean that I'm inherently wrong. Whereas a shame-based person, if they do a stupid thing or a, um, or a selfish thing, they think, wow, this must mean that I myself am st a stupid person. Like this proves I'm, I am stupid. Or this proves that I am evil. I'm selfish. So now, what are your options? Your options are, if, if the problem is that this is, reveals something about you that's unchangeable, then just behaving different doesn't really help because you think, this is me just lying. Like, you know, this is because I am this thing. Like, like, you view it as my only options are to cover up what I am. Uh, just pretend to be something else, but not actually make a, try to make a deep change because I think I'm unchangeable. 
Um, you know, I'll bullshit and pretend that I'm smart, but I don't really believe I can get smarter. I'll try to attack the person who's revealing or exposing me as being fundamentally defective, either in intelligence or morality. Like all your, all your, um, solutions become kind of external and they kind of have an external locus of control. Like, you know, you don't feel you have the internal locus of control to change what you are, who you are. All you can do is just, um, cover it up, hide it. Or maybe you want to sabotage other people, like make other people, um, look worse so that, you know, you could look better, like, like prove, Hey, the whole world is evil. Or a whole, or yeah, these people are more stupid. You see what I mean? Like it's a whole externalization of blame. And um, you know, let's let's see. I'm going to look in the um into into the actual language of the article to give some. Okay, here we go. So in the Tangney article, she goes. There is a robust link, according to the research, between shame and anger. Across individuals of all ages, proneness to shame is positively correlated with anger, hostility, and the propensity to blame factors beyond the self for one's misfortunes. In fact, compared with those who are not shame-prone, Shame-prone individuals are more likely to engage in externalization of blame, experience intense anger, and express that anger in destructive ways, including direct physical, verbal, and symbolic aggression, indirect aggression, for example, harming something important to the target, talking behind the target's back, all manners of displaced aggression, self-directed aggression, and anger held in a ruminative, unexpressed anger. Finally, shame-prone individuals report awareness that their anger typically results in negative long-term consequences for both themselves and for the relationships with others. Guilt-proneness, in contrast, is consistently associated with the more constructive constellation of emotions, cognitions, and behaviors. For example, proneness to shame-free guilt is positively correlated with constructive intentions in the wake of wrongdoing and consequent constructive behaviors such as non-hostile discussion and direct corrective action. Compared with their non-guilt-prone peers, guilt-prone individuals are less likely to engage in direct, indirect, and displaced aggression when anger, and they report positive long-term consequences to their anger. Consequent with these findings, researchers recently evaluated the link between shame-proneness and perpetuation of psychological abuse in the dating relationships of heterosexual men. Shame-proneness was significantly correlated with the perpetuation of psychological abuse in the dating relationships of heterosexual college men, and men's anger mediated this relationship. So, um, what what else? Uh, okay. Also in the article, this is pretty good. We theorize, we being their researchers, that negative feelings associated with shame lead to externalization of blame, which in turn leads shame-prone people to react aggressively. Guilt, on the other hand, should facilitate empathic processes, thus reducing outward-directed aggression. As anticipated, we found that across all samples, externalization of blame mediated the relationship between shame-proneness and both verbal and physical aggression. Guilt-proneness, on the other hand, continued to show a direct inverse relationship to aggression. In addition, the, the link between guilt and low aggression was partially mediated through other-oriented empathy, and this is important, and the propensity to take responsibility. So if, you know, if you're guilt-prone, you're less likely to be um, 
overtly aggressive. And it's important to differentiate between aggression and assertiveness. Uh, assertiveness is good and constructive. Uh, aggression is kind of emotionally or psychologically or physically violent with an intent to uh, hurt and be punitive. Like there really is no constructive good part of um, aggression, although sometimes it is necessary like for self-defense, but um, it's important to, uh, to reiterate that being guilt prone or processing through guilt rather than shame doesn't mean that you're a doormat or easy to walk over. You can still be totally assertive. You're just not uh, being aggressive. And there's a, a qualitative difference between being assertive and being aggressive. So the last part of the article I'm going to read, uh, the paper, the study. In short, shame and anger go hand in hand. Desperate to escape painful feelings of shame, shamed individuals are apt to turn the tables defensively, externalizing blame and anger outward onto a convenient scapegoat. Blaming others may help individuals regain some sense of control and superiority in their life, but the long-term costs are often steep. Friends, co-workers, and loved ones are apt to become alienated by an interpersonal style characterized by irrational bursts of anger. So just to um, dumb this down a little bit, basically, if you're shame-prone, you're very self-identity, your very self-worth, your very value as an entity. It's an ex- existential almost kind of angst. Like It defines your whole existence uh, when you face criticism. Like Every criticism is almost like an existential threat, like a psychic negation, like an actual um, eradication, potential eradication of your whole, of the whole worth of your existence. Like when that's at stake, it's becomes almost desperate. Like your whole survival is at stake. Whereas when you're guilt prone, it's like your self-worth, your right to exist, the worthwhileness of your existence is not really at stake. It's like your behavior that's at stake. And admitting you're wrong or whatever is not as big a deal. And it's just a matter of being corrective. And you're not losing as much when you admit that that you're not you're not perfect and there's less of a need to blame people like you need scapegoats when you're shame based so when you look at it like that then the commonality between being a woman hater a race hater uh a sexual orientation hater is makes more sense like someone might say why do pickup artists end up easily gravitating toward um, uh, queer hating and white nationalism. And what people don't get is, it's just about shame. You just need targets. You just need things to externalize blame and anger onto. You just need scapegoats. And it's an addiction. Now, the definition I use of addiction is there are three uh, hallmarks to any addiction now an addiction has to have these three things going on um well the thing has to be that you're addicted to has to be a mood changer like it changes your mood like when you feel bad this thing will change your change your mood right the second thing is it has to be um, a compulsive use of it. So it's like, for example, drinking might change my mood and make me feel better and kind of numb my bad feelings, but I have it under control enough that I only drink you know, at night when I'm not at work or when I'm not watching my kids. Like It doesn't interfere my day-to-day life. If I need the mood changer, um, actually, it's, it's four things. Um, but this is, the, but still, this is the second one. If I need the mood changer to the, the degree 
that it's almost a compulsion. Like, I want to sneak out of work to drink. I want to hide a bottle in my um, desk at work. I'm taking quick swigs when no one's looking. Um, I'm going to the bar at lunch and coming back uh, visibly drunk. So, like, I'm risking my job. You know, I'm drinking when I'm supposed to be watching my kids and the kids hurt themselves. So I'm, I'm like risking my kids, um, my kids' livelihood. Now I'm taking it um, compulsively. So that's like the second factor. Like my ability to make the proper cost benefit analysis to using the mood changer is all fucked up. And I can't even assess risks and potential benefits. Um, properly anymore um the third thing is that you get a tolerance to it you need more of it and bigger um portions and maybe not just quantity but qualitatively you know you need like um a qualitatively different type of um mood changing or a larger scale um mood changing to get the same effect. So what used to be a sufficient quantity or a sufficient level of mood change to get me through doesn't really do it anymore. I just need this amount just to feel normal. Now I need something twice as strong or different altogether. So, you know, that's, that's the third thing. It's, um, it's about tolerance. And then the fourth part is withdrawal. As in, if I don't get the mood changer now to whatever the current level of mood changing I need currently due to tolerance, if I don't get that, I can't even function. Sometimes I might even like have physical withdrawal. Like I might, you know, vomit, go through convulsions, get a seizure, you know, things like that. Um, That's one reason why, you know, one of the popular, um, jokes people like to make is oh sex addiction is not real uh if that's the case all men are sex addicts like ha 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 and what people don't get is like sex addiction isn't about wanting sex a lot like like you can watch sex like crazy but you're not going to try to um bang everything in your office and make crazy advances on coworkers and other people that end up making you lose your whole career and livelihood. Like you're not compulsive about it. And you know, if you don't have like sex for 24 hours, you're not going into some kind of shame spiral. You see, you see what I mean? Like, uh, so, you know, basically this is what the, what I say shame, the shame rage spiral, right? The shame spiral. This is from the same paper. I'm going to read one more thing with the shame rage spiral, right? Like, the shame the shame spiral is when you get shame that leads to feelings of rage which then leads to destructive retaliation which then sets into motion anger and resentment in the perpetrator which then leads to expressions of blame and retaliation in kind which is then likely to further the shame in the initially shamed person which then goes back to the beginning of leading to feelings of rage, which then leads to, again, to destructive retaliation. It's kind of a vicious uh, cycle. It's, five, it's those five steps that keep feeding each other. Um, that's kind of what happens also in, um, when you're addicted. Like Shame is a big part of addiction as well. So um, the addict has these kind of, goes through this um, shame spiral, like, uh, but narcissists and sociopaths, that same relationship of um, addiction, like they're addicted as well. It's the same as an addiction to a drug, but it's an addiction to narcissistic supply or erasing the humanity of others in order to feel good. It's that same um, type of destructive retaliation and self-aggrandizement uh, that comes along with shame. That's, what it is. That's why um, shame is correlated with um, narcissism and 
borderline personality and sociopathy. It's they're all kind of symptoms or responses to the shame. So, um, a narcissist or a sociopath, um, they get addicted to the narcissistic supply or the abuse of others. Like they're either building themselves up in their ego by, you know, sucking in all sorts of, um, ego boosting compliments or self-assessments or they're boosting their ego by negating or putting down or shitting on someone else. It's two different ways of, um, dealing with the shame. Now they seek this narcissistic supply or abuse of others compulsively, just like the, just like the addict. It's a mood changer. They seek it compulsively. They get a tolerance to it as in the same type of narcissistic supply or through um, self-aggrandizement or through putting down others, it has less of an effect over time. So they have to increase that narcissistic supply via um, self-aggrandizement or other abuse, both qualitatively and quantitatively. Uh, in order to get the same effect. And like any other addict, they go through withdrawal if they're not actively taking in the mood changer. In this case, um, superficial ego boost or putting others down. So this is what happens to, you know, the pickup artists and these people, right? They start out with the shame-based personalities and feeling like, you know, they come up with this idea, okay, so maybe I had some bad ideas about what it takes to be, to get a woman. Like, maybe I let myself be a bit of a doormat. Maybe I let myself uh, be kind of shitted on. Maybe I didn't have strong boundaries and I let uh, women have their way with me. Maybe I was too needy. Maybe I call too much. Maybe I was too eager. Maybe I, um, was a, acted kind of wimpy, whatever. Now a guilt prone person would just think, you know what? I am a perfectly fine person. I just did these bad things. I have to just, uh, not call all the time, not do this, not do that. Um, Maybe go to go to some therapy and build up my self esteem. Maybe I have to um, just do whatever. They don't view it as a um, as a indication of their whole being. The shame based person, what they say is, okay, this must mean I'm a beta male. Like you know, I am this unchangeable um, thing. The only thing I can do is like you know, fake it till I make it pretend to be an alpha male or deny that, you know, I was a beta and, you know, tell myself that, yes, I am an alpha male and other people are betas. That's what it is. If I can prove everyone else is more beta than me, then this makes me um, an alpha, you know? And also I have to blame the bitches, the, the women, like, I have to externalize that blame. You know, that same cycle. The shame leads to feelings of rage, which is what the pickup artist has, which then leads to destructive retaliations. Um, you know, um, fuck women, fuck society, fuck feminists, it's their fault, which then sets, you know, in motion like the anger and resentment, you know, and then all these kind of like superficial things. Like I have to neg women. I have to create this system of behaviors that are just geared toward creating this facade that I'm actually something um, else and, and so forth. And it just goes through a cycle. Now, the same thing I said about addiction, the third step, which is you get a tolerance. That level of blaming just kind of doesn't work anymore. Or that level of um, self, self-aggrandizement 
doesn't work anymore. Like, for example, okay, so you were a total loser. So now, because you're starting from nothing, you start doing this, um, you know, pickup artistry, right? Now you're suddenly having conversations with, with women that last more than 10 minutes with these stupid little tricks that you're learning. Now, to any normal person who's ever had any success with uh, women, you know a conversation doesn't really mean anything. It's just like the bare minimum. But, you know, because you're starting from nothing and your shame is so bad and your um, self-assessment is so bad and where you're starting from is so low, you will take this conversation and maybe a couple of phone numbers or whatever as some sign that you're like, now this God, like, like it's like, this is your mood changer and it does a lot for you at first. Now, after a while, you get these numbers. So that some of these numbers are fake. Some of these numbers, when you call them, the person doesn't really want to have anything to do with you. They gave you the number, but um, they have no interest in you, which, which women do. It's the prerogative to change their mind, but they, um, they're just not interested for whatever reason. That happens. Okay, so you're mad, so you're mad about that. Uh, or you have... Um, you call them and they flake. They never show up or they never call back. Okay, so now the rate spiral is done all over again. And also this thing that used to be a good mood changer for you, it doesn't do it for you anymore because you're like, okay, this means nothing. This is the new normal. Like, this is just where I need to get to just not feel like a total asshole. But now the mood changes when you actually get on dates, you get to make out with girls, you do whatever. Okay. So then you reach that level. You reach, um, but because you're starting from so low, you're overestimating everything. You're like, oh, wow, I got this. I can go on first dates now, whatever. Maybe none of them are leading to sex or none of them are leading to relationships. Or maybe your success rate is like really low, like maybe one out of 10 is leading to sex. And if they get into relationships, they're like shitty relationships, which makes sense because you're doing everything from the mindset of an addict or the mindset of shame. Nothing good comes out of it. Like any sex you have is going to be like shame infused. Any dates or relationships or partners you get are going to be other types of either narcissists or codependent people because shame gets with shame and or you know you're just not going to get anywhere he's gonna end up with like users or abusers or you know people who just find your desperation um either funny or whatever because they're like apex predator narcissists to your newbie narcissist or sociopath and you know and you're fun to play to toy with for them or because they're so codependent and more shameful than you that they're the only people who are going for, you know, your new overcompensating um, exterior. And it's, and it's the equivalent of like when you're an alcoholic and all you can get is just like um, shitty alcohol or like, like vanilla extract. You're like taking shots of vanilla extract just to get your alcohol fixed. Like, you're getting your alcohol, but you're also feeling like ashamed at how low you like you're sinking. It's like you're um, you're the guy at the bar who's looking for people to leave half drank unfinished um, drinks, and you're just going in and just finishing off like you know whatever little bit of alcohol is left in there. Like yeah, you're getting your alcohol, you're getting your mood changer, but the fact that you're getting sub standard like degrading sources of it just kind of fuels the shame and hate even more, which then fuels like, you know, the need for mood changes even more. So forth and so forth. So that's what happens to these pickup um guys. They hit this point where there's this exhilaration at first, but because they're going at it through a toxic type of um place for the shame uh, filled place, they're getting shameful results. Now, at this point, the best thing to do would be to dress the shame, 
process it, become more of a constructive, uh, guilt-prone, guilt-based person, not guilt-consumed, but just um, guilt-focused person and break the cycle. But that's not what these people do. What they do is, again, the tolerance thing. They upgrade to a bigger scapegoat and a bigger mood changer. So it's like, okay, I learned all these things that were supposed to work. I learned all these mood changers that were supposed to work. And I still hate myself. I don't, I'm still the kind of person that believes that anything that goes wrong must mean that I'm a piece of shit. So if all this stuff is not working, what are my choices? Either I'm a piece of shit or I need a bigger mood changer and a bigger scapegoat and bigger displays of sociopathy, bigger self-aggrandizement. So now it becomes, okay, you know what? The problem isn't about um, that I wasn't taught the right quote-unquote game to talk to women. The problem is feminism and society. See, I have the right way, but society's fucked up. And if society was right and it was about traditional wives, like, like they call them trad wives, it was about trad wives and, um, and about proper gender roles. And um, it wasn't for these like, homosexuals kind of gumming up the works by you know, turning all these women, like brainwashing these women to believing that um, traditional masculinity is bad or all this stuff is bad. Then the system would, then, then my, um, approach would work like my approach is right but now instead of um just blaming my pickup lines or whatever i'm going to blame the whole gender relations marketplace that's uh, my new drug that's my new form of abuse i'm going to abuse all these people who fuck up the sexual marketplace so you go through that cycle eventually you hit a wall then because that's still not working. So then, you know, because what these people do is they say it's America. Like, oh, the American woman sucks. The American this. They start doing like sex tourism or as some people call it, love tourism. That works for a while because those women have a whole different game. Those women will kind of fake submission or, you know, they can kind of tell your um, insecurity and they can tell that you're the kind of guy who needs this kind of ego stroke and they need something from you. Maybe they need a green card. Maybe they, um, if you're a white guy, maybe they are kind of self-hating and they want white guys for themselves so that they can have uh, half white kids. Whatever their personal hangup is, they will play your game, boost your ego, act submissive. And also, you know, you might be able to get um, a hotter, say, third world white woman or a hotter um, non-white woman, even in the first world, then you can of, you know, your original target, which is American white women. So now you're getting, um, now you feel like you found the answer. But then sure enough, as time goes on, because you're going from a shame-based self-hating place, suddenly these things are starting to go wrong. Suddenly you're um, Eastern European or, or Asian or brown or black uh, woman is not feeding your ego. Somehow this thing has somehow turned toxic, even though like this became your new, more powerful mood changer. That's not working. So now the next step becomes, you know what? Feminism and American women and all this stuff and their culture has become so bad and so toxic, it's getting exported all over the world. Now the whole world system is fucked up. Like, you elevate the scapegoat. So now, because of um, feminism and, and what else? Um, soy boys or cucks, you know, like, like liberal guys changing the definition of what a man should be. And, and because of like the media, you know, oh, American media is getting broadcast everywhere. Like all these things are happening now on a global scale and now they're ruining foreign women. 
now suddenly the whole world is the system, right? So your scapegoat is bigger, and you know scapegoats are a mood changer. To go with your uh, tolerance, like you have a higher tolerance, you need bigger mood changers, you know, and the type of self-aggrandizement you need because of the tolerance also gets bigger. So now, before you just needed to be um, affirming the level of, hey, you know, I'm an alpha male. Oh, you know what? I am. I need to be aggrandized on a bigger level. I I want to be I want to be flattered on the fact that I am an American man. Oh wait, I'm a no forget, I'm just a white my race too. Aggrandize me on that. Like yeah, I'm um flatter me for, for being white. Like you just, just want to keep getting flattered on a bigger and bigger scale. Like so it's like, oh I'm a Westerner. Oh I'm white. You know, you keep going and then as you want to get flattered on a bigger scale the scapegoats always also get bigger. So, okay. So now you're hating women and gender relations around the world. But, you know, there's men around the world that are still getting laid. They're just not you. Like, what's the next thing to blame? Oh, you know what? There's a conspiracy. It's even bigger than I thought. Oh, this conspiracy against white men and white people. You know, so... so this is how to go from like just trying to get numbers to now trying to say it's about American women and traditional wives, then going to, you know what, it's, I need foreign women. Wait, now, now foreign women are bad because each time they hit a roadblock and a wall, which eventually comes because they're approaching everything through a shame-based defective processing. Eventually, they just start blaming all of history and the whole world. Now it's a uh, global white genocide campaign that dates back hundreds of years and now we're blaming every single person who's not white and every single person who is not traditional and every single like the the level on which they need to be flattered for what or who they are has gotten so big due to the continued tolerance that they, that they need to get the same mood change and the level of scapegoat, the size of it and the quantity of it and the type of it has also grown proportionately in order to get that same mood change because it's all about avoiding actually facing themselves and, you know, avoiding the idea that they're defective. Like, this, like, I hope this makes sense. Like, it's, it's just a form of addiction to narcissistic supply and abusing people. And it just keeps growing because that's what addictions do. Addictions, you get tolerance to them and you just need to keep doing the addiction on a bigger and bigger level. Like, a lot of it would just be solved if they could just break out of the shame rage spiral, break out of the shame processing, break out of this idea that admitting any wrongdoing or mistake or anything is tantamount to admitting that you don't deserve to exist and that you're fundamentally defective. Um, yeah, so, wow, that was all just one giant question that became an episode. But yeah, so yeah, I mean, that's basically why I think uh, the problem is. And that's why this step keeps happening. A lot of prominent um, pickup artists at MRAs always follow this cycle. I can't get a date or a number. Oh, I have the solution. It makes me feel good. It's a nice mood change. Wait, that's not working anymore. Or my results are kind of fucked up. What's next? Oh, I need a bigger scapegoat or a bigger um, scale of self-aggrandizement. Uh, so yeah, it's about um, women and men as a whole and feminism. Oh, wait, that's not working anymore. Just, you know, build, building myself up as a man and, you know, blaming feminists is not really solving or helping me. I'm still hitting this roadblock. I'm not getting laid like I thought I would. I'm not getting a wife like I thought I would. Oh, it's about tradition. It's about history. Let's blame that. It's about uh, progressives. Their progress is fucking it up. Oh, let me go, let me go abroad to the third world. 
oh yeah, this is working for a while. I'm getting some temporary flattering. I'm getting some temporary like superficial results. Wait, I'm suddenly becoming a sucker on this scale too. They're using me. I'm not getting results. Oh, you know, the problem is the world. The world is fucked up. Yeah. And it's history. It's blacks. It's whites. It's just the constant need to never, ever blame themselves and grow up and process things like an adult and be constructive. So one more thing too, um, if you notice a lot of these kind of spree shooters or mass shooters that have happened lately, and a lot of times it always gets downplayed, they always end up on some kind of, a lot of these people, when you look into the backgrounds, it always turns out that they ended up becoming white nationalists before they went on the mass shooting. And that just shows the ultimate high-level form of putting people down or negating them. You're literally putting them down, like with a gun. Like, you know, when you, when you, get, when you shoot a, a defenseless animal, what is it called? It's called, you know, you put the animal down. Or, you know, when you take someone's life, that's the ultimate negation that's the ultimate um making them into nothing to make yourself into something like it becomes um very little literal so it's the exact dynamic i'm talking about on this largest on this largest scale like you now have um started seeking ego boost for your most universal biggest um essentialized traits which is your whiteness you know which is one of the things that's um a part of the spiral is you know you're seeking bigger ego boost and you're putting people down or negating them on the most primal universal all-encompassing undeniable way possible which is actually ending their lives so the Last shooter, the one that just um, happened uh, recently, he turned out to be a white supremacist. He had swastikas on his actual bullets, are saying now. He was that, um, he was that deep into it. Uh, Dylan Roof, what did he say before he shot all those people? He, um, he was saying, you're taking uh, our women, you're raping them, whatever. He took his sexual insecurity and brought it to like the biggest uh, scapegoat possible, like a whole race, and you know, started becoming a white nationalist. Um, even like a hapa like uh, Elliot Roger got into um, white nationalism and had sexual insecurities about black men with uh, white women, and he tried to take out like whole genders and. Yeah, things things like that. The the Columbine guys uh turned out to be white supremacists. They were enamored with white supremacists and they just wanted to start taking out just whole swaths of people. So I mean, time and time again, even though the media downplays how big a thing with through the arrogance of dismissal, uh that white supremacy plays in all these spree shootings, but there's something to it and it gets universal enough that they'll even start taking out other white people uh, just to get that narcissistic supply at this point or that need to subjugate and negate existentially. I mean, yeah, that's my answer to that. I hope it made sense. And if it does, if it didn't, I'm sure I'll hear about it. But yeah, that ended up all being one question. So yeah take care everybody uh be good and also don't forget go to uh killmongerwasright.com to get shirts to support the show and talk to you guys soon take care bye